I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book, a podcast for enthusiastic and engaged readers that will help you discover new books in all genres, give you unique insights into your favorite authors, and keep you up to date with what's happening in the literary world. No matter what you celebrate, you probably are looking for some gifts for family and friends, and I know you're not going to be surprised, but I think books are the perfect gift. So I've enlisted the help of two experts to help you find the perfect book for everyone on your list. First, we'll hear from Miriam Sons, the CEO of the legendary Pals Books in Portland, Oregon. And after my conversation with Miriam, we'll hear from Andrew Brennan, the head book buyer of R.J. Julia's in Madison, Connecticut. Now let's hear what Miriam Sants thinks might be some great books to give over these holidays. You ready, honey pie? I'm ready. All right. Give it to me. Okay. So, Miriam, what do you think are the great books that people ought to be giving and must have? Well, I have some favorite books from the year, and some of them came out just recently, and some of them came out earlier in the year. My all-time favorite best book of the year is Lincoln at the Bardot by George Saunders. Mm. And, you know, it is just, it just won the Booker Prize about a month ago. It's won a lot of prestigious prizes. And that's not the only reason to read this book, that the critics love it. It is a, a fascinating, engrossing story. And when I first heard about it, my first response was, nope, I'm not going to be reading that book <laughs> because it takes place. You know, it's uh, Lincoln and his son has died, and he visits his son's body and starts talking, and the spirits start talking to each other. And basically the whole book is a conversation between various spirits, including Lincoln's son. And it sounds a little bit bleak or dark, and actually it is poetry, it is beautiful, Mm. and it is uplifting and positive. And, you know, I would not have thought of that, of what is basically a um, modern ghost story. And, and it's a very uh, different construct, but but it works. Oh, it works. And, you know, I think it takes you about 50 to 75 pages to get used to reading it because it is such an unusual construct. And I think some people get put off, and I just say, keep if you going. can make it to page 100, keep going. It is musical. It is gorgeous. Great. It is a great book. Now, the other one, and I think it's inspirational. I just think that what he's done as an act of creation and as an act of love Mm. is just inspiring. And I would recommend another book, which I thought on an entirely different spectrum, is also amazingly inspiring. And it's Dan Rather and Elliot Kirshner's book called What Unites Us? Reflections on Patriotism. And Dan Rather, who's been, you know, around for 50 years, is looking back on life in the United States and talking about the values and the virtues and what he sees going on in contemporary society. And what's amazing about this book, and I think it's a book that I want everyone in my family to read, is it doesn't discount the difficulties and the trauma and the tumultuousness of this particular year and the upcoming years, but it puts it in a little bit of a historical context into an arc of history, and it becomes inspiring and beautiful, and it talks about strengths and uh, positives that have come out in the last few years. So I just read it in one sitting one Mm. night and and just recommending it to everybody as the antidote to reading the New York Times or 
watching what's going on on Facebook. It's good to get a different kind of long view of what's going on in this in our country. And Miriam, as I understand it, and I forgot what somebody told me what drove this, that Dan Rather is like in with younger people. Yes, he's got a um, he's got a alternative news media. He's got a huge social media presence. And uh, we had him here for two events. He was kind enough to uh, do a three three o'clock afternoon event and a seven p.m. event. 300 people at each event. The median age was closer to 40 than it was to 60. Wow. And there were a lot of young people in the audience because I think he's reached out to via social media to a new audience. Because he certainly was wandering in the desert for a while. Yeah. You know, I don't really know a lot about the last 10 years of his life. You know, mostly I remember I grew up, we all grew up, if you're my age, which is 66, watching Dan Rather on TV or, right. you know, and there's that part of his life. But I think he's been rejuvenated yeah. by um, the recent political events and feels it's important for someone with his experience and his perspective to talk and to uh, get a conversation going about uh, lack of civility or lack of um, partisanship that's going on and um, what he thinks we can do about it. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Miriam, because I've heard a couple people mention it. I haven't read it yet, mm-hmm. but you've inspired me to read it. It's a, it's and give a, it. Uh, yes, to give it. I think giving it and reading it would be good for our getting through the holidays and getting through the upcoming years. All right, I'm going to give it to Edward. Perfect, perfect. What else you got? Well, it's a favorite of mine, and I went back to the original to uh, make sure I had the story correct. But John le Carre came out with A Legacy of Spies, which is his first smiley novel in decades, and it's based on the story uh, that came out in 1965, I think. The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, one of his first spy novels. Mm -hmm. So I think a package, a delightful package, is (laughs) The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. What a good bookseller. (laughs) Yeah, always one more, one more. (laughs) And that's what I'm uh, giving to my son, and I hope he's not listening to this podcast. Uh, That's what I'm giving to my son is a uh, a combo set of oh, The fun. Spy Who Came In From the Cold and John le Carre, A Legacy of Spies. Fabulous. Wonderful winter reading time and, you know, cozying up and the end of a day and being dropped once again into the Cold War and uh, his wonderful... The, John le Carre is just a brilliant writer. Mm. I just read him and I think, oh, it's not... Lots of people put him in the mystery section. It's not mystery. It's really fiction Yeah, of, uh, a high high degree. Yeah, there's a real literary quality with a good driving story to it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And what are you reading? Well, so I'm reading, this is sort of a preview, I'm reading Eternal by Dara Horn Uh that's coming out in February. We can dazzle people with what we're reading that isn't on the shelves yet. Yeah, and (laughs) it's a story of a woman who is, this is uh, the narrator's term, cursed by never being able to die. Oh. And she's been alive since biblical times. And Dara Horn is a um, pretty gifted uh, writer. So I'm, I'm like about a third of the way into it, but she definitely has my attention. The other book I picked up, and I don't know if you've read it yet, it's tiny. It's actually two speeches that the uh, British historian Mary Beard gave and it's called Women in Power, a Manifesto. I haven't read it yet, but I, I just saw it on the shelf, so yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, you could read it in a second, but it's, you know, given um, everything we're reading and the 
hashtag Me Too and, you know, the forefront that women's issues, either in employment or sexual harassment, are taken. She really takes a very long historical view to talk about how embedded in our history and therefore our current culture, the silencing or dismissiveness of women's voices has taken. And she's a pretty gifted writer. She knows what she's talking about. She's a well-known historian. I loved Women in Power. I'm also reading Born a Crime, the Trevor Noah. I loved Born a Crime. Oh, jeez. I, I, you know what? Thank you for reminding me of that book. I, that was, and I've been recommending that book to everyone. And I also recommend the audio book. Trevor Noah reads that book. He is great reading his own book. Oh, that's fascinating. So I would, you know, if somebody says, oh, no, I'm not much of a reader, I think it's a great book to listen to in the car or listen to while you're exercising because it's a fascinating story, and yet, and it has its dark moments, and yet he tells it with humor and with compassion, and, you know, he laughs at himself, he laughs at everybody, and, you know, he's being raised as... um uh, an outcast and an outsider in an apartheid society. It's a really, you know, grim situation that he, he rises above. And um, I can't wait for the next book. I mean, because it stops when he's, you know, it's at least 10 years ago that it stops. And I think there's there's more good stuff there in his life. And I hope he writes a second book. I love the way he writes. Yes. I love the way he writes. So my top pick for a fiction book for 2017, which has been on a lot of these best of lists, is Exit West, which is just a riveting take on immigration and talks about a young couple in an unnamed war-torn city who then uses this magic door to go to other countries. And it very almost poetically teaches us to think about what exile looks like, both for the people who are in exile and the places to which they reside. Well, you know, it's fascinating that you mentioned that book because I haven't read it yet. I'm saving it for an airplane flight that I'm going on next Tuesday, and I'm going to read it on that flight. But what I decided to do in order to prep myself is I read one of his earlier books called How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia, and I loved it. And that book was brilliant. It's about a young boy on the continent of India. And um, it's, it sounds like it's a self-help book like a Dale Carnegie, which is what <laughs> this kid gets as a, you know, five-year-old or ten-year-old poverty-stricken kid. And he's trying to uh, rise above his station and move through life. And so it starts off when he's about eight to ten years old, and it ends up with his death when he's like in his 70s. And every chapter has, you know, a little bit of an anecdote about, you know, how to get filthy rich. And uh, it follows his life. And it is beautifully written. And um, at the end, it's one of the few books that have brought me to tears. It, it, it ends. It wow. is one of the most gorgeous last three pages of a book I've ever read. And so I'm recommending that to everybody. And I'm looking forward to reading Exit West. All right. So we'll be in reverse because I'm going to take that book to read over New Year's. There you go. We're going to head up to Maine and I'm going to do that. The other two books that I'm loving, one is I adore Mary Oliver and there's a new collection of her poetry uh, called Devotions. Yes. 
I like, you know, even though I have all the individual books, I I still like having these compilations and then switching back and forth. And I think, you know, I, I'm finding a lot of people want to read poetry and then are afraid they won't either understand it or they don't know enough about poetry to really enjoy it. And I just, I don't know that I know that much about poetry, but what I love with Mary Oliver is you just like sort of surrender to her writing. She is one of my favorites as well, and I have that book next to my bedside. And what I love about collections of poetry is they're not meant to be read from cover to cover. Exactly. So before going to bed on some nights, I'll just open random page and read a poem and it's just a lovely way to end the day. And make yourself and, happy. And make yourself happy. She is, uh, even though she talks a lot about she lost her partner in the recent years, and there's a lot of sadness in her poetry, there's also something transcendent and um, very spiritual and uplifting about I, her poetry. I, I, I agree. And as you well know, I'm not a big nature person. <laughs> yes, I know that. I know you know that. <laughs> Yet, I have found in my reading her poetry over the years, especially when I read her book Upstream, I find her inspiring me to want to be in nature. Well, you should read another book that I'm going to recommend called Lab Girl by Hope Jarin. Have you heard of that? Oh, God, yeah. We've sold a ton of it, but I've never read it. Well, it's an interesting story. It's It's a memoir about her life, and she is probably in her 40s by now, and and it's about her uh, finding her way through the pretty male-dominated um, academia around. Um, she's a biologist, and she works a lot with uh, plants, a botanist, and it's interspersed. There'll be a chapter about um, something in her life, and then it's interspersed with her thoughts about particular things in botany. And there is a like four pages that she wrote about seeds, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever read about seeds. And I can tell you, I am not a science person. I have never, you know, thought about seeds or cared about thinking about right. seeds. And she made me just stop in awe to think about seeds. It was beautifully written, and she's got a fascinating life and a fascinating outlook on nature. So I would recommend that. Okay, so I got that down. And then speaking of nature, here's the other book I am in love with this year. It's called Wise Trees. Now, the one part of nature, there's two parts of nature that I idolize. One is water. Just being near any body of water, I find meditative. And the other is beautiful trees because I can sit under them and read. They took two years traveling to 59 sites to find some of the world's most historic inspirational trees. The photography is absolutely gorgeous. And then they tell a story about the tree. I love that book as well. Have you seen it, Miriam? Oh, of course. It is a gorgeous book. And it's one of those books that I think uh, in, in our current world, you know, you can see these pictures on your phone. You can go to a website and look at these pictures. But when you see these pictures in this large photo format that this book is in, right. with the story attached to it, it is just, it's the kind of experience that cannot be duplicated on any other medium. You yeah. just can't duplicate it. I know, except if you go visit the trees. Right. <laughs> I might make that my goal, to visit all these trees. Well, that would be an incredible worldwide journey. Miriam, maybe you'll come with me to some of the trees. I would love to, Roxanne. <laughs> Sign me up. 
Sign me up. We need Medici <laughs> to adopt two booksellers. <laughs> really? I'll work on that. And and win the lottery at the same time, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you never know, Miriam. We might to get we might get to see uh, some of the trees. I hope so. I look forward to it. All right, sweetie. Thank you so much for telling us all the books that you love. Have a great holiday. I know you're going to be with your boys and your grandson, so lots of love to you and Joe and the boys. Thanks a lot, Rox. Love you. Thanks again to Miriam. Now let's hear from Andrew Brennan from RJ Julia with some more holiday book recommendations. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So, Andrew, you you go through a gazillion bedillion books in trying to come up with holiday gift ideas. Two gazillion bazillion. Two gazillion bazillion. Yes. And when do you start thinking about the books that you might want to recommend for the holiday? April or May. April you know, or May. That's when we that's when we really start looking at the fall list stuff, but it can even start earlier. You know, I've actually got one book on that I'm going to talk about today that came out this summer, you know, just because it was a little under the radar, and I think it'll be a great gift for uh, for everybody. So, kind of year-round, but definitely, definitely <laughs> it's by, by spring. <laughs> it's always in your head. Yes. So, Let's hear some of your ideas for the best books to give. Okay. Well, the first book I want to talk about is actually is is a book that came out this past summer. It's called uh, The Blinds, and it's by Adam Sternberg. And guys can be hard to shop for, um, especially guys that read fiction. They they, they tend to um, follow series books, and they tend to kind of know what they want, and they have it before you have a chance to get it for them. I think this book is great because it was a little bit under the radar, and not many people may have read it. It's by Adam Sternberg, and he's a uh, he's an Edgar nominated author. This is kind of a speculative modern western. Um, mm. You could compare it to. Did you make up that term? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it, you could kind of compare it to Cormac McCarthy, Jim Thompson. Or or a, a, or like a Coen Brothers movie. Mm. Um, it, it's about a fictional so it's edgy. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. It's about a fictional town in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Right. It's fifty miles from from the closest place of any real population. It's a fenced in community of these condominium style residences. Everybody that lives there has had their memories completely erased. The rumors are that all of the people that live there are either perpetrators of or witnesses to serious crimes. Though they're unable to leave, you know, they, they, they're, they're completely uncertain of what the outside world holds for them, so none of them do. Um, it, it starts to get going plot-wise when, you know, this is a town where there are no guns, and all of a sudden people start getting shot. Um, I would compare this to, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a Western. It's definitely a thriller. It's funny. It's violent without being gory. Um, it's very smart, and it stands alone. You know, it's not something that you need to have read something before by this author or and there's nothing coming next. It's just a great summer thriller that really went under the radar. So I think that there's a lot of readers out there that don't know about it yet. Man, that that sounds really good, Andrew. <laughs> it is really good. Yeah, I've been trying to get people to read it, and 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 when I can, when I get the opportunity to hand sell it, 
it always works, but, you know, he's kind of an undiscovered writer. Yeah. Tell me his name again. Adam Sternberg. All right. His, uh, his, he, he won the, he got nominated for an Edgar for Shovel Ready, which is, um, which is actually part of a series, but it's, uh, but it's about, it's a mystery series that takes place in the near future New York City. Well, hopefully this will get a lot more people interested in reading it. I hope so. You may have jump-started this book. I hope so. All right, good. Yeah. And what else is on your list? Um, so the next book I've got is, is called Monograph by Chris Ware. Now, Chris Ware is one of the most important graphic artists of our time. Um, I think he has graduated from the title of graphic novelist up to just kind of regular artist. Um, I compare him to people like Miles Davis, David Bowie, Andy Warhol, you know, these are people who, who, well, you know, they're, they're people who have, you know, boundaries for their art form and they spent their entire careers trying to break down those boundaries Mm. and really expand what people thought that their art form was. That's what Chris Ware did with graphic novels. Um, it is an absolutely enormous book, but it doesn't really hold that enormous price tag that goes with it. It's the most complete collection of his work out there. They're probably never going to reprint it. Um, you know, this is for fans of modern art, uh, fans of design, mm. um, young hipsters who like graphic novels definitely know who Chris Ware is. Um, and it's kind of a, a very current and limited gift. You know, this is not the type of book that they're going to be making more of. So that's somewhere between a collector's item and an art book? Yes. People are going to be paying a lot for this for this book within a year or two. Um, it's, it's the most complete collection of what he's done. His last book was Building Stories, which came out a few years ago. Which I loved. Yeah, yeah. And now you can't really get anything anymore. All right. Well, yeah. you, see, Andrew, you're, I like what you're doing here because you're, you're, you're setting the bar for people to discover new things. That's what I'm here for. Okay. <laughs> I've got I've got a couple of people on this list that people have heard of. Okay. I'll save them for the, for last. All right. Um, the next book I'm going to talk about is my favorite cookbook of the year. Now, I am not a cook. I am an eater, which <laughs> is why that's good. Which is why I really like a book this year called The Book of Cheese. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it is not filled with recipes. It is about how to pick out, shop for and enjoy cheese all on its own. Plus, it's gorgeous. It is. It really is. It's, it's written by, by a woman named Liz Thorpe that started out in, you know, the, in the, the dot-com world. Her first job out of college, it immediately got shut down, and she entered the world of cheese, and she is kind of, you know... Entered the world of cheese, Andrew. I, like, picture a, a person walking into, like, something between a cave and a building. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, in New York City, you know, she started working at one of these great deli counters and has kind of worked her way up. I'm sure she spent a lot of time in caves. Um, and But the, the great thing about this book is it's broken up into these, into all the different gateway cheeses. She has kind of broken down everything into um, different flavor profiles. Um, one of her main rules is that it doesn't matter where where the milk came from, sheep, goat, or cow, you know, it doesn't matter. It's all about flavor. It's about what you like. It's about defining that and then following paths to find more stuff that you're really going to enjoy. Mm. Um, it doesn't dwell on, you know, too many facts or minutia, but at the same time, this, as 
to me, is as useful for seasoned cooks as it is for people like me who just want to know what to get for their next cheese plate. And, and so, Andrew, you know, the trend seems to be that people read cookbooks, whether they cook or not. Like yes. they watch the Food Network, whether they cook or not. Yes. Do, do we see that in the store, that people who are not uh, cookers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, and that's certainly the modern trend of, of our most popular cookbooks is they have way more non-recipe text than they used to. People right. want to know about where these recipes are coming from. They want to have some context to them. They want to find out more about the food. It's not just about recipes. You know, that's, where, that's what cookbooks have over pulling some random recipe off of the Internet gives you. It gives you a context. It gives you an expert opinion. And it gives you some, you know, background. You know, we had Missy Robbins at the store. What's the name of her book again? I think it's Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner. And she was great. And I read the book last night, actually while I was watching The Voice. And, (laughs) you, you know, I realized that you totally get a sense of her as a person, as a chef, and it imbues even reading her recipes. Yes. Which made it, I mean, I was reading it to try to pick out some recipes for a dinner, but I also found myself like happily reading the book. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of biographical information uh, in, in, in these cookbooks that come out. People want to know. And do you feel that way in, in the cheese book that you're, does she do that also? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she mm-hmm. talks about kind of the, the world of cheese and how you can use it to your own advantage. She ta- gives her own history. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it, 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 again, it's, it's a big book, but there's no recipes in it. It's yeah. all about kind of how to develop your own palate and how to find what you like. And she has a nice writing style. Yeah, she does. She all right. does. You know, we're talking about cheese, and I didn't eat lunch, and I'm hungry, so <laughs> we got to move on. Good. <laughs> So the next book I'm going to talk about is the other art book that I'm going to talk about, which is um, Annie Leibovitz's new book. Mm. Um, this is Portraits 2005 to 2016. Um, so this is, this is really the ultimate gift book for the Hollywood fan, for the photography fan, for the coffee table book fan. She is maybe the most well-known artist in, in America. Um, everyone has seen her work. Uh, portraiture is her specialty. Um, she does, you know, the, the, the covers for Vanity Fair and every other magazine that you've ever heard of. Um, and the, the, the collection of portraits in this particular book, you open it up and it really shocks you about how, you know, how much she can cover in, in, in just these 11 years. You've got the Quidditch team photo from the first Harry Potter movie where he looks like he's about six years old. Mm. You've got a, you've actually got the Harvey Weinstein family photo Mm. is in this book. Um, The, you know, you've got pictures from film set locations. What was the Weinstein family? It's him and his brother and his mom. Mm. Oh, so it it is the Weinstein family. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've got pictures from film sets, pictures from stars' homes, um, really the only requirement that, you know, you have to be photographed by her is that you're wildly famous and popular. I picked up Sticky Fingers, uh, which is the biography of Jan Wenner, the founder of Rolling Stone. 
and I was reading the piece about his relationship with John Lennon and had forgotten that Annie Leibovitz, who was then a relatively young freelance photographer, she wasn't Annie Leibovitz, capital A, capital L, right? and about her shooting what was the cover of Rolling Stone, which is, you know, the infamous picture of John Lennon naked in the fetal position wrapped around Yoko Ono. Oh, okay, sure. But what I hadn't realized is that photograph was taken on the day that John Lennon was murdered. Really? I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. So he was coming back from the shoe. Oh, wow. To the apartment. I think I read that right. I mean, yeah. I mean, she's taken she's taken everybody's picture. Everybody, it seems like, of the past 40 years of any importance, That's it's kind of like a mark of distinction. But her genius is putting them in a pose that's more revealing than any photograph actually might be. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, that's her that's her genius and her magic. Yeah, it's very painterly. You know, I mean, they, they look like real portraits. Right. There's no snapshots, but at the same time, they don't look staged at all, even though they completely are. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, so, so good bookstores out there will actually still have, they did a limited signed edition of this book. Right. Um, and, you know, those were, those were, there were only so many of those made, but depending on where you shop, you might still be able to find some of those. There is a regular edition as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, the last book I'm going to talk about is one of the most popular books of, of the fall. It's Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. So he has written a, a, a slew of big biographies of Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein, and, and now he's tackling Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci's already in the news, right? One of his paintings sold at auction for $450 million, so everyone is kind of reminded of his greatness. The best thing about this book, though, is that you really learn that, as far as Leonardo da Vinci was concerned, he wasn't even really a painter. Mm. It's not what he cared about in his life. Um, that is that is reflected in the fact that, you know, he, depending on who you ask, there's only about 10 or 15 of his paintings that even survive to this day. He had a very hard time finishing paintings during his life. Um, he carried around the Mona Lisa with him and worked <laughs> on it for pretty much 15 years, even though it was a commission. You know, there was somebody waiting for this painting and right. he never, ever gave it to them. Um, and, and what you learn is that the most important contribution that da Vinci gave to us is really in his notebooks. This is where he did his incredible work on anatomy and the flight of birds and, and hydrodynamics. And, you know, it, so he used to make these, these great little to-do lists. And I'll just read you a few of these things that were on his to-do lists, right? Get the master of arithmetic to show you how to square a triangle. <laughs> Ask Benedetto Pratanari by what means they walk on ice in Flanders. Mm. Get a master of hydraulics to tell you how to repair a lock, canal, and mill in the Lombard manner. Describe the tongue of the woodpecker. <laughs> Inflate the lungs of a pig and observe whether they increase in width and in length or only in width. So he would be, you know, he would be charged with, you know, doing a horse sculpture or a painting. And to him, he needed to know the complete anatomy of a horse before he was able to paint a picture of it. Right. So that's what he spent most of his career doing, is just kind of researching things that interested him. For um, instance, one of, the, one of the parts that I read about was that when he was painting the Mona Lisa, 
he actually studied the facial bone structure and anatomy to understand what the structure of a face was doing when it smiled in a certain way. Absolutely, yes. He knew what muscles it took to smile, to frown, to pretty much do anything. You know, if, as far as he was concerned, and he wrote this in his painting treatises, that, that you, you start with the details. Mm. You start with the things you don't see. You know, he would paint complete backgrounds for his paintings and then paint whole other subjects right on top of them. Whereas artists of that age were, you know, they were doing two-dimensional work that they would, they would fit their backgrounds around their subjects. Maybe it's because he didn't have that classical education. He was amazingly curious, the most creative person that ever lived, and, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible that we still have all of these notebooks that, that, that survived. Yeah. It's, really, it, it's really what we remember him for. And the shocking thing is, is what for his time, he actually predicted that didn't happen for a couple hundred years later. Yes, yes. I mean, there, if he had published a little bit more of the work he was, he was doing, it, it would have advanced science a lot more. He was doing it for his own curiosity. Yeah. He was doing it because he wanted to know. You know, if he had, if he had published a book on anatomy, it would have helped out a lot. It, it, these things had to be rediscovered two, three, four hundred years later. And then Walter Isaacson also fills in uh, what is not necessarily that common knowledge about what his relationships were like, what his ambitions were like, what he was as a man separate from him being the most brilliant inventor, artist, curious person. So it has all the dimensions that I think anybody even slightly curious about da Vinci uh, would find answers to. Yeah, and and you get to learn about, you know, the craziness of, of Italy in 1500 with all these battling city-states, and he's constantly going from Milan to Rome to Florence, depending on who's getting conquered, and, you know, and he does it in, in, in such an entertaining way. I actually just recommended this book to give to a 14-year-old boy downstairs. Wow. You know, but anybody would enjoy this book. All right, Andrew. Yeah. So I think what you've done is you've given us a list of books that we need to own ourselves. And we need to get them to give to other people. At least two copies of each of these books. <laughs> you need to buy and, them. And hopefully everybody will go to their independent bookstore and find all these books. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time. I just know how much thought and judgment uh, you bring to it. And that's a benefit to the readers at RJ Joya. And it's a benefit now to our listeners here at Just the Right Books. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. There's a lot of good stuff out this year. All right. See you tomorrow. Many thanks to both of our guests today for a complete list of the Just the Right Book podcast holiday gift guide. Just head to bookpodcast.com. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, a division of CRN International. Original music was created by Mark Berman. Many thanks to our producer, Christina Torres, and our sound engineer, Pat Keogh. And to all of our listeners, wishing you the happiest of holidays. <laughs>